Hey guys, today's episode of Happy, Sad, Confused is brought to you by Howl.fm. You've heard me talk about this before, and damn it, I'm talking about it again. Because if you're a listener to Happy, Sad, Confused, then you need Howl. That's where it's at, guys. It's like Netflix for podcasts. With Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to more than 120 hours of Howl Originals featuring exclusive miniseries, comedies, and documentaries with new episodes every week. Plus, you get all the archives from WTF with Mark Marin, one of my favorite podcasts, and all the Earwolf and Wolf Pop shows like Comedy Bang Bang and How Did This Get Made? And, of course, every Happy, Sad, Confused. Plus, over 60 great comedy albums. And the Originals, guys, the original content you're only going to get on how is super cool. Stuff like Super Ego, Forgotten Classics, and the Cat and Commentaries. Stuff you will not get anywhere else. Get access to all this exclusive content on your iPhone, your Android phone, and on the web for only $4.99 a month. And with the promo code HAPPY, you get a full month of free trial. To redeem your promo code, make sure you create your account on the web at howl.fm and enter code HAPPY at checkout. So go to howl.fm. That's H-O-W-L dot F-M and use the promo code HAPPY for a one-month free trial of Howl Premium. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. This is my podcast. This might be the last one because I'm dying. I have a little bit of a cold, not to be overly dramatic, but <laughs> this could be it. Sammy, why are you laughing? Because, like, you don't. I've seen you, like, ten times sicker. But this like, time it's different. Yeah, this is you it. I can't hear. I can't hear. This is a strange. I don't know Which if it's related ear? to my cold. I think it's both. Mostly my right ear. Um, I feel, Do you I feel want like, me to scream that really loud? <laughs> no, I don't. I feel like there's. I I, I don't want to get too gross, but I feel Let's like it's. It. I feel like it's simply like cloggage. I feel like I have something in my ear. You should just no. You don't have to go to the doctor. Just take a safety pin. Oh God! And go in there. There could be like a, an entire Milky Way in there, like an entire like candy bar. <laughs> no, I just when you were a kid, you used to shame. I knew I should have candy bars in your ears. Didn't everybody just keep food in their ears just for a backup when they were hungry? I, I was never told not to do that. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to pull through because I'm strong. And I have to be strong for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners need you. The last time I heard you sick yeah. was when we were doing Movie Awards Takeover. Mm-hmm. And we were doing Trainwreck. Yeah. And we were at a bar called The Pink Kitten, I believe. That was a disgusting like that. little bar, yeah. Yeah, with, by Judd Apatow's request. <laughs> well, to be fair, yes, it was uh, next to Judd Apatow's office. And we were taping but, for convenience. Yes, we were with Bill Hader and Judd Apatow. And you the whole time were just like, okay, guys, do you prefer, like, your whole voice was... All messed up. That's mean. And it was, no, I it even, wasn't I don't mean. Even we were worried that. about you. I, I, well, I'll send you the link. At, at MTV Movie Awards this past year, I woke up the morning of Movie Awards. I was co-hosting the pre-show, oh. and I woke up um, with Pink Eye. That was another fun day. That is <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I didn't tell it. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you didn't publicize. No, that. I, well, I didn't want to freak out the producers or whatever. The producers. What about the talent? <laughs> You're shaking. Yeah, I I probably shouldn't have licked the face of every talent (laughs) that I interviewed that day. Just like rubbed your eye all over. (laughs) Let me just rub this crusty mildew off. Shailene Woodley's why is your eye buzzing? Chris Pratt hasn't been the same since. Um, no, this is typical, though, because I just came back from Sundance, and Sundance was a blast. But Ooh, we get it. No, but it always it takes a toll. It's it's like there's something. It's the altitude. It's the schedule. It's all of it. Do you want to give us your rose and thorn? Uh, my rose and thorn. 
uh, in terms of films I saw. Sundance. I, listen. I don't up know. To you. Well, I saw I saw six films. Um, I uh, would say that to keep an eye out for um, a film called Sing Street, which is a very sweet movie from the director of Once and Begin Again, mm. which I found very charming, and that's already bought by Weinstein, so that'll come out I think relatively soon, maybe. Mm. Um, I also really like Taika Waititi. I just like to say his name. Taika Waititi's uh, new directing effort. He's the he was part of the Flight of the Concords gang, ah. and he he did the great What We Do in the Shadows last year, which if you have not seen, you should see. I see Jenna's very excited uh, in the corner, silently excited. People are going to think Jenna's like your cat <laughs> in the corner of the office. Oh, she's a human being, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, anyway, he has a new film called Hunt for the Wilder People, which is super charming and funny with Sam Neill, <clears throat> and uh, and yeah, the interviews were fun. Got to see our buddy Michael Shannon. That was an insane time. Um, our good buddy, Mr. Hugh Jackman. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, calm down. Uh, <laughs> caught up with Kristen Stewart. Um, that wasn't Stu. That wasn't for an interview. It was just sort of like at a party. And that was just great like to see hangout. her. Hang, you know, just hanging. Uh, so, yeah. So Dan Rad. Dan. Talking how about Dan farts. Rad? Yeah, not just because I want to talk about farts, but his new movie. Yeah, more than you guys normally talk no, about even farts. More than, <laughs> his new movie is called Swiss Army Man, and it is crazy. I like really want to see this. It's kind of it's it's fun. I mean, I enjoyed it, um, but certainly it's not for everybody. It's um, super out there. Basically, long story short, Paul Dano plays a suicidal dude on a desert island who finds a dead body, Dan Radcliffe, and. Starts a friendship with this dead man, kind of, sort of. It's kind of like Michelle Gondry-ish. It's a little bit out there. And yes, there's a ton of fart humor. More than I've ever experienced. And I've experienced my fair share of fart humor. (laughs) So um, prepare yourselves for that. I don't don't think it's got distribution yet, but it will, based on... Even if you have to put together (laughs) every penny you have. I would do it. I would do it. I'll take a road show around the country. I'll show you Swiss Army Man. (laughs) Um, so yes, so that was Sundance in a nutshell, always fun, and uh, uh, a bunch of our stuff has been being posted on MTV's Facebook and uh, my Twitter feed, so if, you, if you're if you curious, check all that out. Uh, I should say this week's guest mm-hmm. came right back from Sundance and jumped right back into the podcast cauldron of fun. Hard worker, you are. I know, my so one dedicated. interview a week. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Joel Edgerton is the guest this week. Um, if you don't know Joel Edgerton... I don't know what to tell you. He's a very talented actor, Australian actor, who um, came to he's really come to prominence in the, in the last few years thanks to uh, Animal Kingdom, which was an Australian crime film, which is great, but then has kind of like transitioned to big Hollywood movies like Great Gatsby, Warrior, which not enough people saw, which is great. Um, he was in Zero Dark Thirty, and he's in a new film that he co-wrote and stars in called Jane Got a Gun, which is a Western with him and Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman, which is out right now. Um, some context. Great cast. It's a great cast, and it's a really interesting story behind this film. We talk a bunch about it. He's pretty frank. It's it's all kind of like out in the public, but basically, when this film started shooting, probably a year or two ago, um, the director, Lynn Ramsey, basically quit the production on the first day of shooting, left the production. Meanwhile, Michael Fassbender was playing one role, and Joel Edgerton was playing another role. Fassbender left the production. <laughs> What ended up happening was Joel Edgerton switched roles with Fassbender. Ewan McGregor came in. Gavin O'Connor, the director of Warrior, came in to direct. Crazy kind of thing. So it's kind of a miracle this movie actually even exists. And he's he ended up taking a co-writing credit on it. Um, so it's a... a it's his passion project it kind of a is. little and, bit. Well, I mean, we talk a lot about... Um, Joel is really cool in that not only is he, is he a fine actor, but he is um, really invested in being a 
content creator, as a writer and director. He wrote and directed his first feature last year called The Gift, which did really well. Started Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. Um, so he's one. He's one definitely to keep an eye out, not only for as an actor but as a director. I think he's going to do great things. Um, not hard on the eyes, too, he's, he's, he's pretty, or pretty the ears, dreamy. to be honest. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a nice little accent there. Uh, this is a fun one. Also, we had to talk Star Wars with him because he his his film debut. I don't know if it was officially his first film, but the first film that probably anybody saw him in really was Attack of the Clones. He was in he was in the the prequels as. Uncle Owen, young Uncle Owen. <laughs> and um, so yeah, we talk a bunch about that, and that, he's got a funny story about working with George Lucas on that. Um, so, yeah, a really, really talented actor, really talented um, guy that, you know, thanks to films like Black Mass and, and, um, and The Gift, I've, I've talked to a lot in recent years. So it was a real pleasure to welcome Joel into the podcast booth slash my office. Yeah. Um, and this is not Joel Hannock we're talking about, right? No, no, don't talk about Joel Hannock. <laughs> he hasn't been on the podcast in weeks. <laughs> yeah, people He's don't gone. even remember him yeah, anymore. No. Um, no, it's all about you and me, Sammy, and mm-hmm. Silent Jen- Jenna in the corner. And Silent Jenna. Um, that's about it. I think it's time to dive in. Please enjoy a good one. this conversation with Joel Edgerton. You want to do an Australian accent? It's me, Joel Edgerton. No. Here I am. It's a little cockney. No, I can only do Hugh. Okay. I can only do Hugh. Here's the real Joel Edgerton. Here I am, Joel Edgerton. Nope, this time for real, I promise. <laughs> Joining mid um, rummaging through my office, Mr. Joel Edgerton. Yeah, this is just a nerd. I'm in a nerd's garage. <laughs> um, what do you make of? Do you, do you have a nerd garage? By the way, nerd is not a negative word. Oh no, I'm 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 thrilled. Two nerds in an office. This is the new name of the podcast. Two nerds in a fountain. <laughs> <laughs> do you co- do you collect uh, paraphernalia, ephemera, movie swag, whatever? You I got it? swag. I've got. Kind of, you know, droppings. I call them like droppings from all sorts of movies I've been involved in. What's Thieving, this? thievery. It's what? sort of like whatever fits in your pocket what are your on your possessions? way out the door. Uh, I've got a left glove and a right glove, uh, one from myself and one from uh, Tom Hardy from Warrior. Nice. From the final fight. Uh, a lot of like dried sweat in there. I was going to say just a jar of collected sweat from you guys. <laughs> yeah, like well, you know, when when Tom becomes too busy as an actor and they need to like DNA kind of replicate him, I've, I know where the <laughs> DNA is. It's in this sweaty glove of his. Um, I've got rings from uh, the gift, which you know I've got a, ba- a box of props from my own movie. Yeah. Um, and what do I find the other? I got a box of the little kind of like tokens that Jennifer Garner and I wrote the wishes for the child in Timothy Green. Just just little things, you nice. know, Glo- gloves from the thing. Um, did, did you grow up a, uh, a huge movie nerd? A huge thief. I a thought you could say, yes. did you grow up what a huge thief? What was the first thief? thing you stole? <laughs> uh, you can take it either way you want. My mother's heart. Um, uh, no, I never was a thief at school. I remember I was about to steal something at school. And then, uh, and then I looked around and realized that me and a bunch of other kids were all about to steal something. And I was smart enough to realize that the heat was going to come down because everybody was taking stuff in this poor guy's store. <laughs> and I, I took everything that I was going to steal and I put it back. Look at you. So I, I almost thieved. Um, no, so I'm not a thief. Um, I like to keep things. I generally ask, can, can I keep this? Can I keep that? You right. know. 
uh, a lot to talk about. It's been a busy time. I've seen you a lot in the last couple of years. This yeah. means work is going well. I think you're, you're, you've got a lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I'm living the dream. Someone's going to find out. It's all going to come crashing down at it's some pro- point. Probably with this interview. It was a good swan song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, feeling uh, relief, excitement that this one's finally getting uh, released out into the world. Jane got a gun. Was it? Was I it, still was it don't personally believe that it's being released. <laughs> um, Every time we even get close to doing a preview or a premiere, stuff happens and, and with all seriousness, like, you know, recently in November, we were going to uh, uh, release the movie in Paris because that's where Natalie's living and, and the the terribly unfortunate uh, attacks happened. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I, and then recently I, you know, with the blizzard in New York, I was like, oh, that now... Now the snow is conspiring to stop us from releasing the film. It's look, it's the most interestingly complicated uh, story of how a movie got made and managed to survive. And and like all kind of good uh, traumatic stories, once a certain amount of time has passed, you look back. I mean, you know, if you survive a shark attack, you, it, it becomes a great story. And Jane Got a Gun is. Is, is a great story. What was the initial draw of it? What was the initial, before all the complicated stuff happened, what, what got you involved in this? Being in a Western. Yeah. Just the idea of being in a Western and, you know, rekindling my uh, work relationship with Natalie Portman, but in, in a, you know, bigger responsibility. And, and I, you know, the draw at the time was I was, you know, going to play the villain of the movie. Right. Of course, I, I, you know, thanks to good old Fassbender, I got a, a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's lay it out a little bit. So, uh, Lynn Ramsey, initial director, fine director in her yeah, own right. Yeah. Um, you were playing, as you said, uh, a different role. Fassbender was in there. Yeah. So, uh, were you a writer on it at that point? Or no. So what happened? Give me, give, give me the <laughs> however version you can explicate. Or for explain. reasons of her own, and for 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 more than one reason, I'm sure Lynn left the process and um you know while it didn't look good for her and and there, there there's a bigger deeper story there in terms of her her creative differences i guess with sure. producers and what have you and then so but but she picked a very unfortunate time to leave it was already like first day basically. day one yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that's an unusual this doesn't happen that often you know and can you imagine sort of day one in your trailer and you hear this <laughs> it's like, and normally, normally, what's on the other end of this? It's like, oh, Joel, do you need a coffee? Or you know, are you okay? Are you, are your cowboy pants fitting okay? And instead, it was like, oh, we have a problem, you know. And that was sort of the beginning of something very interesting. But you know, as I said, that that you know, I don't want to throw dirt around, but that was a time that was difficult. Um, but, you know, you have two choices in that moment. Well, the production had two choices, which is um, lay down in the dirt or, or keep riding. Yeah. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep dragging this terrible cowboy analogy <laughs> as far well. as I can, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the talk of keeping the movie going was was the sort of vigilant process of you know, replacing a director and, and uh, Gavin O'Connor, who was collaborator you know well dear friend of mine and and whatever he he took to the story and but he'd inherited 
you know, a movie like, you know, he did, he suddenly like handed a child. It was like, here's your child. Like, you know, rear this child. It was like, well, I need to, he needs to make it his own. And the, the, the fact that I'm a writer in the process is, is a mere byproduct of that, that it, it needed to kind of be the script and the story needed to kind of meet Gavin halfway right. that he was able to even make the movie. Give me a sense of the, I mean, again, the very odd circumstance of where suddenly you switch roles and yeah. then you have Ewan playing the role that you were initially prepping for. So you're watching this great actor, this previous collaborator, doing his own version of what you already had in your brain. Yeah. And you're, meanwhile, trying to figure your way out into a, a role that's just kind of been foisted on you. Yeah. That's a lot going on in a brain. Well, the I mean, good news was the, the, the you know, my my... The old switcheroo from from me playing the villain to playing the 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 kind of you know foil to Natalie or hero I guess of the for lack of better words happened two or two and a bit months ahead of production beginning so I hadn't quite formulated or solidified you know any approach to playing the other character right. and uh, and it gave me enough time to not feel like I was you know, running to the altar, trying to put on my tuxedo in the car. You know what I mean? Like right, I was, sure. I was, I was prepped enough to know what I was going to do, and and I certainly hadn't prepped enough to sit there tapping you and McGregor on the shoulder. <laughs> and go, you know, you and I was going to do it like this, but oh, you, know, you want to do it that way? <laughs> Your rodeo, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no temptation to add in. This is the uh, strangest, um, most unlikely Star Wars reunion, perhaps ever. No midi Korean references. No Star Wars inside gags that you put in the script. Well, I mean, there was definitely talk of that. It would be, you know, pretty funny at some point if I was going through. I think there's a shot of me going through. Uh, just you know, there's a sequence where Natalie's. I'm telling her to fire this heavy pistol owned by her husband, and she can't make a shot. And then I make some dig remark at her, and then she picks up a. a I think what's it called a thirty thirty? It's like a you know sling action rifle, right? And blows the handle off an axe. And uh, and while she's loading up that rifle, I'm going through stuff that she's purchased for the sake of prepping for a siege and the sticks of dynamite. It would have been pretty funny if there was just a sort of a, you know, very quick shot of a, of a lightsaber amongst that. <laughs> for nowhere to pop up. Um, just, just for any, like, diehard fans going to go, ooh, what was that? A, was that a, <laughs> so... As I said, it's been a busy time. I mean, the gift. Congratulations again, man. That's a great, a great achievement of what you were able to achieve in, in that one. And, and you, 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 you know, you mentioned you know collaborating with Gavin on, in a writing capacity on this. And one of the things that I, I have appreciated in in your career is you've been creating and generating your own content. You've been you know working on short films with your brother for a while. You've you've yeah. endeavored to kind of keep a lot of different kind of irons going in the fire and that resulted in the gift your directing debut this past year. Yeah. Was that, I mean, how much of that was sort of happenstance and like how much of it was calculated? Like I should along the way as I'm, you know, trying to get going as an actor, I should generate my own material and just have other uh, opportunities available or how much of it was just, I'm a creative guy. I want to do it all. Uh, I've always been writing and I realized that even through school and high school, primary school and high school, I was writing stuff. It wasn't necessarily movies, but it was sketches and mm -hmm. short stories. So I've been interested in creating, like putting words on page, pages for a long time. And, uh, 
and the the beginnings of being a filmmaker was really not happenstance, but 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 a, a kind of an, a concerted effort just to get myself to a place where people would give me work. And my brother and I looking to get people to employ us by making a short film and go here look right. here's me being an actor and here's my brother he's look at him he's doing stunts on a film and like, like this like a business card like right. calling card you know and um through that we got involved in we actually realized how much we enjoyed writing and creating and editing and all that all those different elements of filmmaking so we kept doing it so now writing is a passion it's not yeah. it's not like a means to an end at all sure. but it's it's a means to an end in that i have characters that are in my head that i'd like to get out or characters I'd like to play or a, an idea of uh, a, a feeling or a, a, a set of circumstances i'd like to explore on mm -hmm. film that i could either wait for people to write a script that's going to come my way right which you could wait a long time or you know like with the gift for instance I, I was curious about playing an awkward misunderstood like creepy character it was like that that was where that came from sure um so that's where it's at now and now i, I really love directing a movie and as long as it's got enough time to ferment and it's a measured enough process of writing and uh, development right i feel like I, i'm ready to do it again i just don't want to rush it but but um i would love to be making another movie by the end of the year or ne early next year i mean it, it felt like um at the time in, in hearing about it when it was coming out, uh, down the pipe and, and eventually coming out it felt like oh that, that's not the usual kind of first film that someone like puts out as their calling card as a director do you know <laughs> what i mean like and i appreciate that like it was a psychological thriller it was it was it was but done very well and, so, and frankly one that we don't really see done well in the last 15 or 20 years kind of yeah. a throwback kind of a thing um again like is that sort of just where your sensibility was at at the time or sort of the kind of films that you weren't seeing um it's definitely an interest of mine is psychological thrillers and thrillers and and you know deceptive kind of like characters with deception behind their motivations and duplicitous characters um i mean it, i'd be curious i guess what is that typical movie that an actor makes i mean it's it, you know i guess you could say that quite often actors uh making a movie it's very much focused on performance or an right. attempt to you know dredge out deep emotions and sometimes it's so focused on that it loses a sense of cinema right sometimes cinematographers approaching a movie it becomes so much about cinema that you lose a little bit you of lose that. a little bit about the, the the human interaction so you know i just was very mindful approaching movies like it's very much about performance it's very much about that stuff but i also wanted to retain and make sure that it 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 was a piece of cinema as well given we only had four and a half Right. million dollars it wasn't um ever going to be uh you know dancers with wolves or anything right. like that but but within the limitations to make sure that I, I kept reminding myself i was making a movie that it was a piece of cinema that it wasn't just uh about um uh come sort of you know uh a uh, self-fulfilling kind of like acting, uh, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, th there's a credit to be given when a, a genre, quote-unquote genre film is done well, because frankly, most of them aren't done so well. And then you have a little great cinematic uh, pedigree behind it, but you also have some interesting acting going on as well. You had it all in that one, man. So yeah, t talk to me a little bit about 
okay, growing up into movies, into pop culture, just like were you into everything, or what was your what was your passion growing up? It's funny, like I feel like I've got a really good, uh, you know, understanding of movies through just being a fan. Mm. I never sit around and pick them apart. I never analyze them. I won't overly, you know, repeat watch movies. Um, in many ways, I don't feel like I watch enough movies now. Mm-hmm. As a person who works in movies, it's like for some reason I, I don't find enough time to watch them. But but I I do love them. I appreciate them. And um, and uh, I, but I wouldn't call myself a cinephile. Mm-hmm. I just uh, am someone who uh, f- sort of wanted to be an actor and start in the theatre and and then just getting got more and more interested in, in getting in front of a camera. And once I did, I felt more comfortable doing that than being on, on stage. Was um was was it school theater at first? Like, when was the first time you got on stage? When was the first kind of yeah, professional th- gigs? Through school. Uh, and, uh, and then I saw professional actors in theater when I was sort of deeper into high school. And I went on an exchange program. Mm-hmm. But the exchange program was like going to live in Texas – uh, with a bunch of other young Australian people, we put together a play, and uh, we performed the play, and that that made me feel interested in the idea that I could be an actor and travel and see the world. Because we went, you know, we went to Texas and performed at high schools, and then after being inspired by watching actors at the Opera House in Sydney, um, I was like, oh, maybe I, that's like within my realm of possibility. I could do that. Sure. And then uh, the idea of going to drama school came came into my head, and and it was through all those different processes of starting to then, you know, work on that same stage at the opera house that I'd seen actors on. I was right. Like, I started to feel like I was achieving something, getting closer to bigger things, and and then you know, working on on film started to happen. Partly because we were making our own. What was the? I'm curious about the Texas experience. Was that culture shock at the time to go from? Yeah, but you know, when you're a kid, you like you like the hungry caterpillar. You you just eat anything. Yeah, and and you know you're not fearful about stuff. It's like it was like going into a whole new world. But it was a world that I'd f- sort of fantasized about because you know when you're a young Australian person, or as a young Australian, we got so much American culture that that's what you were sure. di- dying to sort of get amongst you know um i remember the i remember very vividly and just talking about it out loud the feeling of being in san francisco and going to my going to a ca- store where you could buy baseball caps and mm. whatever and buying a new york yankees <laughs> baseball cap and you know buying this the cliched things <laughs> the 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 kind of typical things like buying the number 23 you know jersey um uh, Michael Jordan jersey and and buying high top basketball shoes. It's like ah, oh, America has everything. You know, <laughs> going to a grocery store and seeing that there weren't just like uh, you know eight types of breakfast cereal. There were in fact like eighty five million. You need eighty five million like, to choose from. That's just enough. the peanut butter flavor exactly. ones. <laughs> like uh, you know, and drinking Coke. You know, like classic Coke and. <laughs> It, it, it was American culture. That's what we were obsessed with. It, yeah. it was everything we watched on TV, which is also why I think I've said to you in the past, like why why I think American accents are very much accessible to Australians. Is that sure. we were just hearing that shit all the time. So were the I mean, you mentioned being on stage where others that you had admired had been. Mm. So, but also being an appreciator of American culture. So, who were like 
who were the giants in your brain that you were kind of trying to emulate or aspire to? Was it American actors or Australian actors or both? On the stage, when I seriously had the idea they were Australian stage actors, um, but then, you know, we, we had Mel Gibson and um, a few Australian actors starting to kind of go over who were closer to my generation, Russell Crowe and uh, Guy Pearce and, and Nicole Kidman. But, you know, the actors that I you know, watched growing up were, you know, you got one of them on your wall here. I remember, you know, Michael J. Fox. and But, but the action heroes were Sylvester Sloan and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, of course, Harrison Ford was a big part of my growing up. Um, and it wasn't until I went to drama school that then, you know, it was sort of uncool that that was your, that was your only understanding of cinema. So right. then it was like, oh, I better catch up on, you know, the, the proper stuff, the cinema of exactly. 70s. And, and But then, you, of course, how could you not fall in love with being someone interested in acting and then you go watch Dog Day Afternoon for the first time. Yeah. Like, Fuck, this, this, was, this was the stuff that was going when I was just like, you know, learning to finger paint. Right and uh, and learning about that and being introduced to actors like Gene Hackman, um, Al Pacino, and of course De Niro, but 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 that whole swathe of that time, uh, which was about drama and where leading men weren't, um, you know, didn't didn't bench press four hundred exactly. pounds, they, but they were just interesting were psychological yeah, exactly. actors, yeah. Uh, Donald Sutherland and yeah. So I'm curious also, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, as you've progressed and, and started to do kind of some of those kind of hero roles, those kind of like leading man kind of things, do you appreciate more what someone like Harrison Ford was able to like make look effortless? You know what I mean? Like, as you're saying, maybe in drama school, he wasn't getting the credit he deserved, but I think there are a few that can do that and do it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think Harrison Ford was definitely getting the credit he deserved. Um, you know, and he had an incredibly diverse career. I know there were certain things that he was known for. Um, um, but then, yeah, you think of something like Mosquito Coast or Witness. And yeah, like Witness. That, and, right? you know, but, but there's something also that he could do that very few actors, I think, have a, even managed to achieve since, which is to be very much in the real world psychologically as his portrayal of a character, yet in a slightly fantastical setting like Indiana right. Jones, to be in these diabolically sort of tricky situations, to show a real sense of human fear that an audience could connect with, yeah. still managed to get out of the situation in a way that that um, didn't seem like he'd already predestined his heroic escape. Right. And, and, and so you could feel connected to him even though it was a fantasy world, perhaps, of Indiana yeah, I mean, I Jones. Think, I, I agree. That's what people forget, I think, about Indiana Jones, is he's, like, battered and bruised throughout, and he feels it, and he's moaning and groaning. And yeah, and like- he <laughs> faces a wall of kind of a silence of, and realizes, and you get this feeling like, how, how the fuck am I going to get out yeah. of this situation? And, he, and, you know, and, and then add an ingredient or a pinch of humor to that as well, which was the result, but not the, not the kind of look at me, be funny. Right. Attitude and even like w- watching the most recent Star Wars, you know, and there's a lot of great young actors in that. And yeah. I, I was really admiring of, of so much about that movie. But when he arrived, you're like, that's what makes these movies work. Yeah, is the ability to kind of grounded among. Yeah, and it's that it's his exactly. girl Friday banter between yeah. him and Leia that used to exist, which, which if that if that wasn't part of the original Star Wars, you wonder whether it would have been as good. Sure. So, um. Where, so where were you at in your career, whether on stage or, or on television in Australia, when 
Star Wars happened when you got Attack of the Clones? Uh, I was 26. It was my when I got the the call about getting the job on on uh, on that film. I was 20. It was my 26th birthday present. Kind of. I was I was I was actually doing a workshop for Hamlet at the Sydney Theatre Company. Oh wow which we were doing just like a rehearsed kind of workshop that we were going to show to some people. And, and I got that call and it was like the two separate worlds. It was like, you know, a, a movie about the future of galaxy far, far away. Right. And then I was doing like a 400 year old play, <laughs> classic play on, sta- on stage. So, um, you know, that's where I was at with my life. And I was also at a point where I was really like buffeted between the idea of, you know, am I a stage actor? Can I work in films? Is is America even a possibility? Right. Which it wasn't like it is now for young younger people who are coming up out of Australia going, uh, do I sit around and wait for someone to make a movie and hopefully put me in it or do I just go to America and get a job? Yeah. And there's a lot of these young Australians who just go straight there. Like within a few weeks, they're in a TV show. and um, there's It's almost like that show, you know, that remember that show V? I loved V. <laughs> you know, where everybody's like, the, the aliens are kind of like... They're amongst us. They're, they're amongst us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you consider Australians as aliens in the TV land of America, right. there's so many people that you don't even realize are, are and Australian. Can, yeah, and you can do our accent, you can blend they in. They are amongst us. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's eating I mean, a rat Dude, I, I, I drove down right Sunset Boulevard one day and I was like, within a f- sort of five-minute stretch... I'd seen like a good ten Australians on billboards for TV, new TV shows. Or it's crazy. Yeah. So what was the what, was there an audition or did you put yourself on tape for Star Wars? What was the process? I'm curious. Uh, Robin Gerland, uh, who I adore, was the uh, casting agent yeah. for uh, George at the time. And like, did you know what you were going in for? Like how much? Yeah, I knew what I was that? going in for. I can't remember what the pages were. I think it was just some. Uh, I can't remember whether we read a scene from the old Star Wars or whatever, and I remember just sort of obsessing over photos, uh, you know, of the original Uncle Owen, just going, could I look like, uh, is that is that me in like 30, 40 years' time? Is I that-, get that haggard and angry at the world? Yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> and drink blue milk. And I just remember marveling after I got the job going, the, the amount of stars it needed to align yeah. for me to even end up in that that universe the fact that i looked enough like him the fact that they were shooting the movie in australia that sure. i happened to be an actor that of the right sort of you know for lack of better words pedigree at the time mm-hmm. like um that that a casting agent would even go joel's the person you should see and yeah and then i did the right job at the time i guess and and it worked out great and it was, it was like how weird is that that it even that yeah. i end up in star wars was um well, I'm curious because I, 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 got, I mean, I got a chance to talk to the cast of Force Awakens recently. I talked to like Harrison. Infamously, he had all these crazy things to say about George's direction. You know, about like, you know, you can type the shit, but you can't say it. That all that that famous um, quote of his. What was your experience of of saying the dialogue? Did he say that to George? Yeah, you can type the shit, but you can't say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's his famous line. <laughs> I do have one George uh, direction story, which was kind of like, it was more about me being a nerve wracking kind of moment of being in being in Tatooine as in like you know the the actual town of Tatooine where the uh, exterior of the water towers right. set was actually no it was it was the the interior stuff that down below which are these hotels that actually exist in in Tunisia and they they're dug into the ground these sort of 
tunnels dug yeah. into the ground because uh, it insulates and makes them cooler for, for desert pretty, living, pretty right? So, that, yeah, sure. so he would have gone there back then and just sort of seen these hotels and gone, wow, the rest of the world doesn't know this is true. This this could look like a an alien, an alien yeah. sort of yeah. in the habitation. So we were down there and I was doing the scene where I uh, go out to shake Anakin's hand and, you know, sort of the, the, the meeting of Anakin and Padma and, Padme and, and me. And uh, I remember thinking, this is kind of like a guy coming out of a garage, a car garage to, to meet some people. And, mm. and every time I ever saw that in a movie, the guy would be like wiping his hands on a, on a rag, what? right? And they gave me this tool, which was sort of sadly looked a bit like a lightsaber, but it was really just a screwdriver, it was whatever, like, you know, Uncle <laughs> Owen was using. And I remember thinking, I want a rag, but I guess I should ask the director... And so I said to an AD, like, can, can I speak to George? <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, George, I'll speak to George. And I was like, oh, no, this is like, and I could hear this sort of radio chain of command going. And I realized, I remember that George was like 400 meters away under a tent <laughs> in the desert where they could get reception to watch the monitors. Right. And I was like, all right. Uh, and he's like, George is coming to see you. And I was like, oh, no. George is like, George, George Lucas is going to walk 400 metres to see me and I'm going to be rag. out in my ear. I'm going to be on the first plane home. I was like, all I want is a rag. And he's it's like, like graffiti. And he's like, yeah. He's, and, and he comes up to me and I said, oh, hey, so I was just thinking, you know. And I start tripping over myself with words. You know, I was like, maybe I had a rag. And he just looked at me in silence. <laughs> and then I thought I'd better tell him why. Yeah, because I'm coming out of the thing and maybe I've went, I don't want to, I'm going to meet them and I'm going to shake my hand. And like maybe I should clean my hands and, I was, and he just looks at me and he goes sure <laughs> and walks 400 meters back to the tent I felt terrible there's a fire drill going on we're behind gonna handle us. it we're gonna we're gonna I think we're gonna handle it right is that we're, we're on fire we've heated the building up <laughs> anyway sorry for that incredibly long-winded terrible boring story no, but that was amazing but I remember just sweating buckets and it was like sweat on sweat because I was in the desert already sweating and then <laughs> my sweat, sweat started versus- sweating <laughs> <laughs> just hear him go, sure. <laughs> and that was my that was also my Kermit the Frog impersonation. That did sound a little uh, German sure, sure, sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> did did it feel like was there a career bump after that? Did it feel like after Star Wars you got you were suddenly in the mix for different things? Or? Yeah, but here's what I did, right? This is the cunning maneuver of a young actor in Hollywood. Um is you know, I somehow I realized there was a con just waiting to happen there, which is like the the using the shroud of secrecy against itself to to channel that into my own power and energy <laughs> of will force, my own <laughs> my own using of the force <laughs> was to go right. No one knows anything about the script. I've been cast in the movie. And they didn't know who you were cast as? Or the, did they didn't know that. They had so many special effects to do. I, I did the calculation and I knew that there was roughly 18 months that I had up my sleeve to go on door knock in Hollywood and really like, not lie, but, but by omission, kind of lying, just letting people I'm think what they wanted to think. Starring in the new Star Wars movie. Mm, Star Wars, mm, yeah. <laughs> Open your door, come and meet me. I gave what else to do you want me Lucas in? and he said okay to it. Yeah, so what else do you want me to be a two-minute... Walk on rolling. Um, and I used that opportunity to go there and just do some meetings and get an agent and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, it wasn't deceptive. It was just interesting how when you're in a movie of that scale, suddenly you just heard all the doors open. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going to walk through those doors if they're going to open. 
and uh, and then I, you know, that led to me getting a job in um, uh, King Arthur, which wasn't just like I will yeah. here's a job. I mean, I really worked my ass off for that. Actually, employed some of my old Shakespeare skills to get that job, and I, when I knew that I was uh, almost maybe to get a job on King Arthur, I. I I um I, I remember sending him a tape with a bit of Henry V on it, and uh, and that sort of I think it really kind of tipped the balance, you know, for me. And you know, anyway, have you have you become kind of like philosophical as you go on? And like you know, you do you obviously always give your hardest effort, and sometimes it's out of your, your hands. Whether it's King Arthur that doesn't resonate with an audience, and maybe in the way everybody wanted, or mm. or the thing, etc. I mean, everybody has these things where like on paper. It looks great, and then for whatever reason along the lines, it doesn't work for an audience. Yeah. Are you, does it does it sting less at this point when it doesn't work, or are you able to move on quickly? Or it stings less as an actor, I think, in general. I mean, you know, you dive into everything with the greatest possible intention. You know, for example, the thing was a good example. I, you know, I thought the thing was such a great idea. If you're ever going to do a sort of a prequel to a movie, that was such a great idea. Yeah. Is to what 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 happened at the Norwegian camp, you know? Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's disappointing if people don't go and see the movie. I don't care about how much money someone else makes or doesn't make out of the movie because you're not really sharing in that profit. And and money's not the big you know uh, reason to make movies. I think. Um, but but I remember going into. Uh, the gift just thinking that one I really care about because that's my DNA all over it and yeah. if that doesn't work that means I don't work that means right. you know I don't I failed or something you know but but so I, I very much cared about whether it either had a nice critical response or maybe it did well at the box office and for the fact that it did both those things yeah I couldn't have had a better uh, that couldn't have been yeah. a better outcome for me and but but you felt the nerves going into that opening weekend going oh god I've never cared about well and, and something so much and before. frankly I've seen you know we've seen a lot of whether it's actors or what or directors in their first effort be kind of one and done you you, you don't get that many shots there, there's definitely that feeling like you don't you know that that you're not gonna um, have a, be afforded a ton of opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and, and on the same hand, I mean, something like Warrior, which I don't know what the box office result was, but it, who cares? Because everybody that's seen it loves that movie, and I'm sure it follows you around to this day. Th there are those ones where you go, okay, I know that everybody else is wrong. Yeah. You know, and, you, and at the time I remember thinking that film wasn't marketed as well as it could have been. Tom and I weren't really that big on people's radars at the time right. so so they you know that was our own sort of lack of star power sort of situation but i i think there was a better way to market that film with all respect to to those involved um but but i remember thinking at the time everybody's wrong like people and you know that if if people don't see that movie now they're gonna see it yeah. one day they'll see it and and you you know social media is there to remind you every now and then that People give you an electronic sort of tap on the shoulder and they go, I can't believe I haven't seen this movie until now, but it's it's already one of my favorite films. And Warrior just keeps giving us that tap on the shoulder all the time. Is uh, uh, collaborating with someone like Tom, who is obviously one of the best actors working today, he's also kind of insane in the best possible way i think he's an eccentric he's he's kind of out there was yeah. it was did you did you have to kind of key into sort of tom's frequency is he sort of on his own plane am i being fair to him and saying he's a bit of an eccentric or what i think everybody's a bit eccentric yeah. i mean I, I you know i've got 
uh, I've got all sorts of stories about everybody that I will um, <laughs> that I will keep to myself and parcel out at the right time. But generally, most things will go to my grave. Um, you know, all I'll say is that some of the most uh, uh, wonderful actors are who they are because there's a certain, um, you know, personality at work, or you know, or a, a wonderful insanity. Yeah. That makes uh, makes, makes them, them unique special, and special. Yeah, and unique. Totally. I always had that when I worked in the theatre. There was a few actors I worked with. Where I was like, wow, there's a there's some sort of rhythm to you that is so unusual, um, but it makes you very special, yeah. you know. So, you know, and there's a handful of people I've worked with on film who are like that, and and you you kind of you get excited every time that they have got something that they've just done because you're like, I know I'm going to watch something that's better than average it's like look at mr michael shadow on the wall he's one of them exactly yeah <laughs> you, you you think you come to know what you're going to expect from certain actors and you're usually right and then yeah. but other people just constantly throw curveballs and and surprise you and certain filmmakers do it too and yeah you know i think they're the most exciting actors to watch so in the last few years as, as i've gone to talk to you more and more as you're in these higher higher profile films i mean you're you're both doing great projects. You're also always in the mix for these great projects too. I'm sure you're like, it seems like you're, you're meeting or auditioning for like super high profile franchises and all that. Is the auditioning and meeting process still enjoyable? Is it fraught with tension when you're meeting on like superhero films and franchises and all of that? I mean, is this kind of where you want it to be? Is this, give me a sense of sort of like where you're at right now and negotiating that. Uh, I don't know. It's sort of weird. Just one day you'll get a phone call. It's like, someone wants you to do this movie and you're like wow that's right and then that suddenly turns the steers your life in that direction for the following year and 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 you realize too that that every choice you make steers your life in a direction that is irreversibly shifted forever too because that turn into say you know say you go off to new orleans to shoot some movie you're going to meet people there that are going to be in your life forever. It's going to cause you to get a job from that that is going to change your life forever. You you know, those experiences become kind of etches on your face and etches yeah. in your life, I guess, that that, that are, are never change. But the meeting process and how work comes about, I have no idea. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, recently I was in, I was in Paris and, and I, I went and met up with Luc Besson. I've never met him before, and I've you know been a fan of his for a while. Like yeah. lots of stuff that he's made, and you know it's just interesting. He's like oh, he really loved Exodus, and it's like it's funny when certain directors have gone, "I loved you for this," or "I yeah. loved you for that," or you know I've been wanting to meet you because I I saw you on stage, or yeah. so you never know what causes the impression as well that leads five years later to someone putting you in a movie. Well, and also as you say, like I don't know if you knew Jeff Nichols before you did Midnight Special, but then clearly that then leads to another film loving like that clearly that relationship that that worked out and you yeah you worked on two successful successive films yeah and that's what i i mean i i would hope that the future is like a constant revisits you know revisitations with certain directors yeah. because it always you know that shorthand is inevitably gonna make for a more interesting work experience and Jeff and I will work together again, I'm sure. And um, Gavin O'Connor and I work together. David Michaud, my brother, you know, um, 
you, when you like people, it just like you know, you might as well keep working together. David was was David Michaud, who obviously you worked with on Animal Kingdom, mentioned to me a while back that you guys were working on some kind of like giant. Was it a swords and sandals kind of like epic kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, we've written a, a, a kind of a modernized, well, not a modernized, a, 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 a kind of a Henry IV and Henry V as a movie, but, um, you know, a period film, but with our own dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with all respect to uh, Shakespeare, I feel like <laughs> yeah. saying, no, these are no, let's chuck these words away. These are what, right. what are these words? <laughs> well, chuck them. <laughs> Um, but just, you know, because it's sort of, you know, for lack of better words, too, more of a kind of a Game of Thrones mm. uh, meets Shakespeare. And it, only in that, well, I say that as in you could watch Game of Thrones and understand what's going on. I feel like uh, with with complete deference to, to Shakespeare, um, there is something that happens when even the most intelligent people watch Shakespeare is that that they feel stupid yeah, <laughs> because, you know, he kind of, he does the kind of roundabout version of telling you simple things. So we, we just wanted You're to cutting sort out of, the middle man. You can't yeah, to the- <laughs> let's, let's, let's let the audience understand exactly what's going on and, and not just some people, but everybody. Yeah. So where's that one at? Uh, well, David's, David's cutting, um, uh, War Machine right now that right. he just shot Brad with Brad Pitt, Pitt. Right, yeah. uh, and they've got a little way to go on that. So hopefully we're going to make that soon. We'll we'll see. I mean it's it's a it's a slightly expensive movie to make, um, and you know we've taken our own artistic license as well as infused a lot of kind of real real history in there that Shakespeare had avoided. Right. Um, but ultimately, anyone who knows Henry V knows that it's not exactly you know. It's not like a rocky ending. It's not like, you know, it's not, it's, it's got an ironic sort of, you know, right. victorious and yet sort of bitter sort of ending. So, um, you know, when you, when you, when you put that in the, into the business machine of Hollywood, yeah. it's, it's not exactly a home run. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, things have to be made at a price. And I even hate that I'm talking about business right now. While I'm doing it, I'm, I'm beating my head. I'm caving my own head in with a cash register. <laughs> Are you interested in in like helming a big studio? Yeah, film? yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to creep my way towards it. You're if, probably in the mix a little bit, I would think. The thing about I think the thing about movies is you know like if you have the right schedule, I think everything's manageable. You know, the idea of climbing Everest by standing at at base camp and just staring at it and going, "All right, I'm going to climb that mountain," is terrifying. But but if you're doing it sort of rope by rope and foothold by foothold, yeah. and you're focusing on that ten yards ahead of you each day, you, you will eventually get there. And so I, I'm not scared of making a big movie, mm-hmm. as long as I have the right resources around me right. and the right amount of time and the schedule. I think it's it's a manageable thing. It's just as long as story is not lost or character is not lost for the sake of scale and right. spectacle. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't want to do it. Uh, as we approach the finish line and I let you go into your, your fun day of press, um, huh. are, I mean, are you, you know, you talked about sort of when, when you were crafting the, the gift, like that's a role probably that wasn't coming to you, the role you played in that one. Mm. Are you finding like, are there types of roles that aren't coming across um, your desk that you wish folks would think of you for, or is that are you satisfied? Because you're you're you know what you're you're 41. You're like a leading man. You got you kind of like you know that's what you are. You could be that. So I'm yeah. sure. So that could be interesting, and sometimes that could be the least interesting part in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. There's all sorts of 
kind of hidden weird little kind of experiences and uh and, and types and and whatever you know characters that are the mix of all sorts of things or experiences that you, you've had the opportunity to do maybe like the opportunity to do again because you feel like you weren't ready at the time or it was yeah. 10 years ago and you have a new perspective on that is also what what comes to you as you get older in terms of what kind of a person you are you know playing fathers and playing older characters becomes a very interesting thing i'm interested in certain things and i'm starting to write about those things and yeah. hopefully they'll become opportunities you know also i i'm not someone who's scared of doing something kind of big and um, action-driven as a kind of a l- slight holiday from the more independent cinema stuff. Yeah. Um, I'd like to do a mix of big and small. Nice. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. Um, no, it's been, it's been great to talk to you in the last few years, man. It's and, and please, in the last few months, just Black Mass, The Gift, now Jane Got a Gun. Um, you should feel very proud, and hopefully you're taking a little break soon, maybe. And you no. should shot <laughs> Loving soon, uh, Loving recently. Jeff yeah, Miller. yeah. Loving will come out some point this year, I guess. I can't wait for Midnight Special, by the way. That's going to be... Yeah, we're going to go to special. Berlin for Midnight Special. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you know, M- Mike in <laughs> non-sexual escort there. <laughs> he and I have been meeting up. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's going to be an exciting one. That was, I think, Jeff's made a very special movie. In that talking of sort of throwbacks, it's yeah. sort of a a bit of a uh, you know, Starman, right. Close Encounters type throwback. I think and, sold. Uh, <laughs> and then Loving is such a kind of one eighty from that. Yeah. So I don't know. Jeff's such a special guy and such a good. Man. It's always good to, you know, one thing I realized through the older I get is is movies are like, they're hard to make, you know. Yeah. You take a lot of your life, you, you disappear from your own life for such a long time. When you when you get to make them with really good people as well, it's awesome. Well, you uh, you guys managed to get this one across the finish line. Congratulations. Yeah. Sure you got a gun, man, and always a pleasure to see you. You too. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Hey everybody, it's Paul Shear. I have a podcast with June Diane Raphael and Jason Manzukas where we watch the worst movies ever made and then we try to figure out how did this get made? Do we get answers? No, but I think it's a fun time. It's kind of like talking with all your friends after you watch a really shitty movie. Here, take a listen. From what, what I know of tornadoes, they're, <laughs> they're wind, essentially. Yes. That's picture. And what do you know of oh, tornadoes? I'm about to tell you. June was an amateur storm chaser. <laughs> Go ahead. Wind starts to sort of pick up dirt and debris, and it kind of collapses. <laughs> you you in know nothing about tornadoes. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no like, keep, let her go. Listen to How Did This Get Made on Earwolf or your favorite podcast app. We would love it if you did. This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.